Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's been my favorite song for a couple of months. So I thank you, worship team, for accommodating me. Um, But I hope that you love it too. Put it in your playlist and get good at it so that we can really shout it out. Um, Today is the last week of Stand Firm. This is the last week we cover the armor of God. We're going to cover the last piece this morning. And it's not really armor. This last piece of armor isn't really armor more than it is an offensive weapon. And you may know it. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we get to talk about the Bible today. Now, how does a preacher do that in 30 minutes? I don't know, but we're going to try. How many of you grew up around somebody, maybe your great-grandpa or grandma, and they referred to their Bible as their sword? All right, all right, all right. More than 930, that's good. Um, Growing up in an independent fundamental Baptist church like myself, we talked about the sword, and we had... In the Christian school that I went to, we had chapel every week. And part of that, my favorite part about chapel was a thing that we did at the beginning called sword drills. Anybody that either went to Christian school or youth group or Sunday school know what I'm talking about when I say having a sword drill, it's a game. Wow. Nope. Okay, Danny, we got one in the house and Emily. All right. Well, we're going to do it. So get ready. Uh, The way that you do a sword drill is you have to have, number one, a physical copy of God's Word. If you don't, you've already lost. I'm sorry. You need to bring your Bible to church. If you don't have a physical copy of God's Word, we have them back there on the ledge. I wonder what you guys would do if I didn't put verses on the screen for you. But that's another topic for another day. Um, I'm going to step on some toes because I'm preaching against technology today. All right, so Grab your Bible, and the way that you do this is you've got to have the Bible closed, and you've got to have your thumbs up. And if your thumbs aren't up, then you're cheating. So we're gonna, let me pick out a verse really quick. It's going to be random. Okay, got it. It's Zephaniah 1, verse 3. Don't go there yet. Just hold tight. If you want to participate, there's Bibles in the back. You can jump up like Danny. She's got to win. I like that. She's competitive. I like competitive people. Um, So this sword drill, uh, the reference is Zephaniah 1.3. Say Zephaniah 1.3. All right, thumbs up. Let me see it. Chris, you have to have your Bible closed and your thumbs up. That's better. I like that. Anybody else playing? Okay. I see that second row. I like that. Youth group, switch. All right, you ready? Zephaniah 1.3, on go. (laughs) Get out of here, Billy. All right. Zephaniah 1.3, on your mark. Get set. No, wait, 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 wait. As soon as you find it, you just stand and you start saying the verse out loud. You don't wait for me to call you. You don't wait at all. As soon as you find it, you stand and you say it out loud. Zephaniah 1.3. Are you ready? Oh, Nate, you want to play? Are you getting a Bible? Okay. All right. We'll wait for Nate. We'll wait for Nate. Zephaniah 1.3. Say it again. Zephaniah 1.3. All right. Are you ready? Thumbs up, Nate. Zephaniah 1.3. On your mark, get set, Go. 
Stand and say it as soon as you get it. All right. Oh, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about tabs. I don't know about tabs. All right. Zephaniah 1.3, I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off my mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'm not going to preach on that. I'm not going to preach on that today. You're welcome. But the purpose of these chapels, the purpose of doing these sword drills, what do you think? It was for us as students to get really familiar with our Bibles. The whole point was to get used to your sword, to learn it inside and outside, to learn it up and down, front and back. Know your weapon so that when you're in a moment and you're either sharing your faith or you're defending your faith or you are trying to recall a scripture to encourage your heart, that you know exactly where to find it. You know where to go. You know where to flip. I'm talking about without the table of contents or tabs. And you just know your word. You know your word. You know your scripture. You know your Bible. You know your weapon. We're talking about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God this morning. I want you to know your weapon because here's what will happen if you don't know it, weapons that are not used become weights. And so you can have a head full of knowledge about scripture, but if you don't apply it, it just turns into pride. It sours like milk and it just turns into pride. If you have a big old Bible, but you don't know where to find anything in it, or you don't know how to use it, guess what? It just weighs you down. It just turns into weight. And all the babies said, amen. So why don't you stand? We're going to read Ephesians chapter 6 for the last time this morning. Ephesians 6, 13 through 18 is our text. And then we'll dive into this final piece. By the way, I'm going to say this up front because I don't have the time to say it at the end. Prayer is often thrown in there with the sword of the Spirit as the second offensive weapon. I believe that they're the same. And I can explain to you later, come into my office, drop by, see me, and I'll explain to you why I think prayer fits with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, because it also says pray in the Spirit. So you're praying Scripture out loud. Anyway, that's another sermon for another day, but we're going to read 13 through 18 together. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. That's our sermon series title, Stand Firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You may be seated. A confident soldier spends time becoming skilled with his weapon of choice. Let me say that again. A confident soldier spends time becoming skilled with his weapon of choice. In fact, he goes nowhere without it. 
And if you've been in the military, you know you're not allowed to go anywhere without your M16, right? That thing goes with you everywhere. You know how to break it down. You know how to clean it, assemble it, adjust it. Why? So that when battle time comes, you don't even have to think. There's no time for that. The soldier must act on the battlefield. That's not the time to learn your weapon. His weapon is so familiar to him by this time that it becomes second nature to use it skillfully and effectively. So too must we in this room become skilled with our weapon of choice, the Word of God. I must spend time learning it. I must spend time studying it, reciting it, memorizing it, breaking it down, putting it back together. In fact, I must never put it down or go anywhere without it. Why? Because we're at battle and there is a war. It's not by what we can see, but it's in the heavenlies. And believe it or not, soldier, we're not just called to stand our ground. We're not just afforded the comforts of defending what we call our own. No, at times we're activated. At times we're called up to execute a special mission. We're appointed to take new ground to bring the fight to the enemy, to cross enemy lines. When it's time to roll out, when it is time to invade, to attack, to establish dominance, for the kingdom of God, the battlefield is no place to learn your sword. Don't let your weapon become the weight that slows you down. Do you or can you efficiently use your sword without even thinking about it? Has it become second nature? Do you know your way around scripture without a phone, without an app, without a screen in front of you? I want to teach you a little bit this morning about your weapon. And then when we've covered the weapon, I want to teach you a little bit about the war, the weapon and the war in a sermon entitled Sword Drills. You guessed it. Let's pray. Jesus, have your way in this place today. I pray that we would be convicted. I pray that we would be edified and encouraged, that we would leave this morning as better soldiers of Jesus Christ, that we'll leave this morning with an understanding of what it means to use our weapon, to use this Bible offensively. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you like a good defensive coach? Do you think the best offense is a good defense? You want your team to hire the best defensive coach, defensively mind coach in the, in the land? Great, good for you. I like offense, right? I watch football because I want to see touchdowns. I watch football because I want to see the Hail Mary. I want to see the long pass. I want to see skirting down the sideline, spread offense, guns blazing, right? That's what I came to watch. I'm an offensive guy. Well, if you're anything like me, then we've spent three weeks talking about the armor, and I hope you've had your heyday defensively because now it's time for the offensive coach to take over. We're going to go, and we're going to go fast, okay? So this is the offensive weapon. A little about, about your weapon. We're going to talk about your weapon. We're going to talk about size and scope. That's how I want to break it down for you. The size of your weapon, the scope of your weapon. What does it do? What does it look like? 
The first thing to know from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 or 17, wherever it is, it'll be on the screen for you. Although I'd love for you to bring your Bibles, some of you do, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. First thing about that, that you need to know is that this is not the huge gladiator sword that you're picturing in your mind right now. It's not. It is not that weapon. It is not the huge thing that you drag along on your belt and you barely can get it out of its sheath and you're just swinging around because it's so heavy. The sword of the Spirit, this word, is referring to, as defined in the Greek language, either a small sword for thrusting through or a large knife for skinning and gutting animals. This is what we're talking about. This is my sword. This is what I discipline with at home. <laughs> Wife, kids, doesn't matter. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But this is my sword, letter opener, glorified letter opener, as Jeremy likes to call it. But this is my sword. This is what we're talking about. In the Greek language, we're talking about a 15 to 18 inch dagger. A 15 to 18 inch dagger. It was intended, catch this, for close up hand to hand combat. We're not standing back. We're not thrashing about in the middle of some arena. We're not just haphazardly swinging this thing open. We hit something. No, this is for the skilled fighter who knows how to make moves, who knows how to adjust, who knows how to thrust, twist, and pull out. We're talking about soldiers who know how to kill. Because when we cross enemy lines and when we go on offense and when we take the fight to them, it's either kill or be killed. There's no middle ground. We're in a kill or be killed position when we go on offense. You got to know that about your sword. We're taking the fight to our enemy. We're not waiting around for his fiery arrows. We're not waiting on him to get a foothold. He's not at a distance. We're not even letting him fire off his cannons and his artillery and fire his arrows. No, 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 no. We're sneaking out by night. We're crossing enemy lines and we're taking it to him. So if you're ready for an offensive fight like that, you're in the right place this morning. Catch this. We're dealing, when, when we talk about close up, face to face, hand to hand combat, we're talking about the personal stuff that's hard to deal with. We're talking about the things that we like to keep close. We're talking about the dark places of our heart that we don't like to visit, that we don't tell people about, that is hard to confess. These are the places that we're tempted in. And what we have to learn from Hebrews 4.12 is that not only is this weapon, this word of God is a weapon, but it's also a scalpel, if you will. It also is the weapon used to perform surgery if need be. Let me show you this from Hebrews chapter 4. It'll give a little more context about our offensive weapon. And the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. What is he talking about? Of the joints and of the marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What is the writer talking about. This weapon, this word of God, this sword is skilled like no other. It is sharp like no other. 
so that it convicts. It does the work of conviction. In fact, Spurgeon says, he puts it like this. This sword must convict before it can conquer. For its battlefield, its first battlefield is the soldier's heart. That's how Spurgeon explained Hebrews 4.12. This sword must convict before it can conquer. For its first battlefield is the soldier's heart. What other book, what other weapon do we know of that can convict on a painful level, it can just slice you right open. You read a verse, you hear a sermon, you hear a scripture, and it just fillets you. And then at the same time, this weapon is a two-edged sword. So at the same time it convicts, it also binds up the broken. And it heals the sorrowful. And it comforts those who are weak. That's the beauty of this offensive weapon is that it convicts. It does slice through all the noise, all the chaos, and it convicts you right where you need it. And then it also puts you back together. Thank God, right? It's a two-edged sword. So we have to learn about the size and scope of this sword. It's alive, the verse says. It's energizing. It's discerning between our psyche and our spirit. In other words, where are the thoughts and the will of our heart? Where is that source? Is it the spirit or is it the flesh? How many of y'all have ever had a moment where you're like, is that me or is that God? Am I really pushing through my own agenda or is this an open door that I know God has allowed? Just me. Okay, great. Well, (laughs) I've had those moments where I'm wondering truly if this is my agenda that I'm pushing, am I, just, am I just plowing through because this is something I want to see done or I want to see happen in my life? Or is this something of the Spirit? Is this something that I know is of God? The way to know is to use your sword. This book will illuminate with the help of the Holy Spirit. It will show you where the intentions and the will of your heart is sourced. That's what it means when it says the division of the soul and spirit. The soul is referring to your fleshly psyche and the spirit is talking about the spirit. Imagine that. And so what other weapon would we want to use than a two-edged sword like this that can convict and comfort all in the same way? What other book can take a man's lifelong sin and set him free through repentance. It could be one verse. In fact, back in Nehemiah's day, Ezra stood up and just read the Old Testament for six hours, and the whole nation repented. Would you like me to try that next Sunday? I mean, I'll start in Leviticus and Numbers, and I'll just read for six hours, and we'll have a full altar call. But that's the power of the word of God. You see, it's, it's powerful, it's energizing, it's alive. That's the scope, that's the size, excuse me. What about the scope? See, size is a 2D term. Scope refers to dimensional space, breadth, depth, reach. So let me give you 3Ds. This is the 3D area of scripture. Number one, it's divinely inspired. Number two, it's dynamic. Number three, it's durability. It's divinely inspired. Did you know we believe and teach at Decided Church verbal plenary inspiration that every word is breathed out by God, that there's no error, that in fact, it's not even an allegory, it's literal, 
Now, it doesn't mean that we can't apply it to today's life situations, but everything that's in this book either has happened or will happen. You can take that to the bank. It's literal. If God said that Moses marched millions of people across the Red Sea on dry ground, that means it happened. And historians have found ancient ruins of, guess what? Egyptian chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea. So when it, it's not a prophecy book, but when it speaks on prophecy, it's 100% accurate. It's not a science book, but when it speaks on science, it's 100% accurate. You were created by God. You didn't evolve. You didn't just happen to come into existence by a big bang. And it's not even a relationship book, but when it speaks on relationships, guess what? It's 100% accurate. It's not even a business manual, Billy. But when it speaks on business, take the book of Proverbs, for example, it's 100% accurate, is it not? He's a big guy. He's a big believer in the Bible within business. I'm just, we're all picking on him today, so we'll just keep it going. <laughs> Number two, it's dynamic. In other words, this is the Greek word dynamo. It's where we get our English word dynamite. That means it's powerful. It's alive. It's active. It's energizing. It's effective. Listen, this is the only book that has the power to change lives. First Corinthians 1.18 says, for the word of the cross, right here, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And it's not just a one-hit wonder. Once it saved us, the Bible says that this word sanctifies us, so it continues the work. We find that in Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify her, talking about the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So this book, this offensive weapon, not only saves us, it sanctifies us. And just to put it in practical terms, how many times have you gotten the exact word that you needed for the day? When you've been dealing with something, when something is heavy on your heart and you open your scripture and you have your quiet time and it is right on, you know what I mean? This just happened to me Friday. It happens all the time. But it was poignant on Friday because I was running. And when I'm running in the morning, all my thoughts are in there. And it's where I do my deep thinking um, when I'm running the driveway. And I was thinking certain thoughts, which are dumb. But I'm not going to say them out loud because you would just think I'm crazy. You would never come back. But then, then I opened... My, my Bible for quiet time, and it was literally, the verses I read were literally the exact same thoughts. Crazy. So you already know it's a powerfulness life, and it's like, man, how did God know that I would be going through that, and he would put this verse in front of me, and in fact, I missed yesterday. So maybe, like, <laughs> maybe I was supposed to skip yesterday. No, 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 that's not what we're saying. But the Bible is so alive and so rich, so energizing and effective and powerful that it can meet you right where you are. Amen. How about this? How many times have you read the same verse and all of a sudden it hits different and you get something completely different than you got the last time? What other book can you read that does that? It's alive, it's active, it's powerful, it's dynamic. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. I got to show you this one. It'll be on the screen. Even though I'd love for you to have a physical copy of God's word in your lap right now. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, verse 11, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed 
and the thing for which I sent it. God's word is effective. This weapon that we hold in our hands as the sword of the spirit will always do the job. It will always be effective. You don't have to doubt it. In fact, none of this on my iPad makes any amount of difference. It doesn't mean a hill of beans. My alliterated points, my intro, my thesis, my conclusion, my deeper dive questions, it means nothing if I did not present the word of God because that's the only thing that God promised will be successful. It's durable. It has stood the test of time. What's the 3D of scripture? It is divinely inspired. It is dynamic. It's durability. It has stood the test of time. Catch this. It is the most quoted, most translated, most sold book in all of history. More than the dictionary. Think about that. More than the five love languages or whatever popular book. More than the purpose-driven life. The Bible has been more quoted and more translated than those. It, catch this, it was written over a span of 2,000 years, over 40 authors on three different continents and in three languages, yet contains one singular passionate message, the God of glory reached down to rescue mankind through the person of Jesus Christ. What other book, what other novel, what what other series can claim that? Are you kidding me? 2,000 years, one message. You're talking about 40 different authors, some of whom didn't even know each other, one message. You're talking about three different continents and three different languages that it was written in, yet one message. It's alive. It's durable. It has stood the test of time. Catch this. multiple periods throughout history where the Bible was burned and or illegal to own. In the 13th century, there was a decree of the Council of Toulouse, illegal to own a copy of God's word. They burned them all. In the 13th century, again, at the ruling of the Council of Tarragona, it was also ruled illegal to own any copy of scripture. How about the 15th century? There were proclamations at the Ecumenical Council of Constance, Again, illegal to own a Bible, they were all burned. Again, in 1536, the 16th century, at the death of William Tyndale. Illegal to own scripture, they burned them all. He was, he was literally burned at the stake with, and you know what lit the fire? Was his own Bibles. 1930, Nazi Germany. It was illegal for any Jewish person or or. German person to own a copy of the scripture. They were hunted down, they were confiscated, and they were burned. There will always be periods throughout history where the word of God, our sword, is under attack. Why? Because the devil knows it's the only effective tool. He knows it. There will, there will be periods in our future where the word of God will be under attack. How about August 11th, 2020? Black Lives Matter protesters, Portland, Oregon, burned a bunch of Bibles. There will always be periods of history where the word of God is under attack. So let's take the war to them, shall we? The war, let's talk about the war. We've talked about our weapon. What about the war? The war we're talking about is not the one the enemy is launching at you. That's defense. That's what all the armor is for that we've already covered, that we're not going to go back over. So get excited, soldier. What we're talking about this morning 
is not a defensive posture to defeat the attacks of the enemy in the kingdom of darkness. We're going on offense. So when we talk about using the Bible as an offensive tool, I'm not talking about coming to somebody for prayer or asking the preacher for a word when you're going through something. That's defense. That's like walking out onto the battlefield while you're still trying to put your armor on. You're naked. The war I'm talking about is crossing enemy lines. The war I'm talking about is looking for a fight. The war I'm talking about is betting on a kill. Because when you get in close range contact, hand-to-hand combat with your sword of the spirit, it is either kill or be killed. It is either take down the enemy or he will take down you. How do we use the Bible as an offensive weapon? I'm glad you asked. Two things. Take it up, practice up. Take it up, practice up. Everybody say, take it up. up. Everybody say, practice up. The Bible said in Ephesians chapter six that we're to take up the helmet of salvation, yes, and the sword of the spirit. So we have to take up the Bible. We have to take up our sword. What does that mean in English? Pick it up. And I'm not talking about your phone either or your tablet or your Bible app. I'm talking about a black and white red letter edition. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to take it as far as King James Version, okay? I'm over that. But I'm talking about a physical ink and paper copy of God's word. Can I get an amen? amen. You got to have a Bible. And if you don't, we have them to give to you. We want you to own a physical copy of God's word. How are you going to take it up if you don't have one? So in English, it literally means exactly what the Greek says, pick it up. There's no secret message there. Pick up the Bible, read it, open it. We got to take it up. In fact, we're never instructed to put it down. There's not one point in Ephesians chapter six or anywhere else in the Bible where we're instructed to lay down. Okay, you need a break, take a break, put the Bible aside, take a breath, deal with your emotions. Let's, let's go to counseling for some human reason or philosophy or philosophical analogy. No, 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 no. It's to take up the word of God. Take it up. Take it up. As soon as we lay down our weapon, we've lost. You cannot afford to get tired or take a break or let your guard down. The orders are not to compromise or debate. All you philosophers. The orders are not to come into agreement or settle differences with the enemy. It is to take the sword. And a sword is meant to kill. You don't play patty cake with daggers. You're on the battlefield to kill the enemy. You don't win by by being neutral or passive. You don't win with human reason, philosophy, or logic. Pick it up means pick it up. Remember Skopto Bethuno. Search out the hidden things of God early in the morning. You got to be in it to win it pick up your sword. Okay. Develop habits by reading at the same time every day. Develop habits by not overcommitting. I am tired of Christians coming to me saying, I read the Bible in a year. Stop doing that. Take it at a even manageable pace. If you're going at blazing speed, you're not getting anything along the way. Slow down and study it memorize it, recite it, highlight, cross-reference, mark, underline, circle, go back and forth, work your weapon, work your weapon, slow down and work your weapon. 
Habit stacking. Let's say you're not into a healthy routine of reading the Bible. I hope you're in a healthy routine of brushing your teeth. I hope you're in a healthy routine of eating breakfast or dinner. Put your Bible reading around something else that you do every day that doesn't move. If you want to develop habits and routines, habit stack. I'm helping you develop routines in your life in order to use this weapon effectively. For offense, you got to pick it up. Number two, you got to practice up. See, that's not all. The war is not won yet. We don't get to read it and put it back on the shelf. Now we must practice it. Think of the gladiator. Think of the soldier practicing with his weapon. Think of him practicing moves, practicing thrusts, kill shots. When you don't practice it and you try to use it, you're going to get cut by it. It's a two-edged sword. What happens when we have Christians who think they can just throw scripture around? Somebody else says something back to them, and they're like, oh, why I didn't know that verse? Well, crap, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll get back to you on that. And you've lost your standing. You've lost your footing. Now you're on the retreat, and you've got to go back on defense. Practice up. Don't be slicing and dicing until you know your word. Practice up. Practice. How do you practice using the word of God? Sword drills. <laughs> no, but for real, that can be effective. Study. I'm talking about marking, highlighting, cross-referencing. Show me your sword and I'll show you a soldier. I'm a firm believer in that. Let me see your Bible. Let me see your Bible and I'll tell you how you're doing. Let me see a marked up rusty old sword. I'm talking about pages missing. I'm talking about the binding falling out. I'm talking about every verse is highlighted or marked. Show me your sword and I'll show you a soldier. It's true. 2 Timothy 2.15 talks about a workman with the word. Don't have time to stay there. But I'm talking about that family Bible on the coffee table is one thing, but where's your working sword? Where's the one that you use every day? Because it, this, this weapon was never meant for a decoration. It was never, never meant for a weight. It was meant for devotion and duty. Ask questions in your study. These are some of the ones I use that I learned back when I was doing sword drills. Is there a command to obey? Ask yourself that when you read. Is there a promise to claim? Is there an example to follow? Is there a sin to confess? Is there a principle to learn? Is there wisdom to apply? If you don't know how to practice with the word, ask those questions when you're reading. And then a huge part that you cannot miss, this part of practicing is speak it. Speak it out loud. Let me show you from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. I'm going to race through this last point, and then we'll run to the conclusion. We're going. We're on offense, right? Um, we're getting his third, third and ten. We've got to throw a Hail Mary so we can close this thing out. All right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. I'm going to need your help in a minute. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Word, word of God, word of God. There are three words to say word in Greek. There's logos, which means pen and paper. And then there's another one, which I didn't write down because it's not important for today. And then there's this one, which is super important because guess what it means? It's, it's rhema, R-H-E-M-A, rhema. 
that which, catch this, this is what the Bible is saying, that which is or has been uttered by the living voice. A declaration of, one, of one's mind made with words. Did you catch that? So in other words, we could read this verse literally and say, and the sword of the spirit, which is the spoken word of God. You cannot practice up without speaking up. You have to vocalize the word of God. I'm talking about reciting it, memorizing it, putting some verses together that mean a lot to you and committing them to memory. Psalm 119.11 says this. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The most effective weapon to counter the attacks of the enemy is the memorization of the word. See it, say it, write it, read it out loud, repeat it, recite it. Can I show you the ultimate example of this in Matthew 4, 1, and then we'll be done. This is the conclusion. The ultimate example of using scripture as an offensive weapon is when Jesus was tempted by the devil in his, the early days of his ministry. And I don't have time to go through the entire thing, but I've got to show you at least verse one because it completely describes why this is an offensive weapon. Verse one, then Jesus was led up, was led up to, or excuse me, was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Does that verse sound to you like Jesus was playing defense back here with his shield of faith and his armor and his breastplate and his, and his helmet waiting for the attacks, waiting to see where Satan would pop around from next, waiting to see that temptation flash across his computer screen, waiting to be tempted, waiting for the lust to show up, waiting for the unforgiveness to show up, waiting for the bitterness to rear its ugly head again. Jesus went on offense with his weapon. The Bible says that he was led up by the spirit into the wilderness. Christian soldier, at some point or another, you're going to have to make up your mind whether you're going to face your wilderness or not. Whether you're just going to keep playing defense and never deal with the dark matters of your heart or whether like Jesus you are going to grab your sword and you're going to cross enemy lines and you're going to go straight into the teeth of the enemy and you're going to deal with it before he can. I need Christian soldiers in this room today to shout at the devil and say, I'm taking it to you before you can even get a chance, before you can even get a foothold, before you can even dangle the temptation. I'm coming to you with it first. Where's your wilderness? Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to attack, good soldier? Lust, anxiety, worry, greed, anger, pornography, bitterness, gossip, slander. What is the dark temptation of your heart? Are you going to continue to play defense your entire Christian walk? Or are you fed up with that? Have you had enough of sitting back worried, defeated, discouraged? 
waiting for the fiery arrows from the wicked one to hit your shield of faith. At some point, get up. At some point in the middle of the night, grab your sword, get good at it, and cross over into enemy territory and stab the devil. Stab that temptation. Put it in, twist it, and pull it out. Be killing your enemy or your enemy will be killing you. The passage goes on to say that Satan tempted him three times with three different, very lucrative temptations. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Every single temptation the devil brought to Jesus, guess what he did? Did he try to reason with the devil? Did he, did he come to a compromise agreement with the devil? Did he, did he negotiate with human reason and logic? No. Every time the devil came to him with something, he said nothing but straight up scripture. You can read about it. Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 6. He just quoted scripture to the devil. That was his offensive weapon. And do you know what verse 11 says? It says the devil fleed. The devil got out of there. The devil ran like a chicken. The devil ran. I want us in this room to be skilled with our offensive weapon. I want us to take the battle to the devil. How many of you knew that I struggled with being gay most of my life? If you didn't, now you do. Welcome to church. If you stick around here long enough, we give you a great recruiting tool. When, when people are asking you, uh, what church are you going to now? You say, oh yeah, the one where one of the pastors was gay and the other pastor was a drug dealer. So it, it works every time. I promise it works every time. People are going to want to know more. Oh, yeah, tell me about that church of yours. Um, and then you just slip the gospel in there. See, you've already got their attention. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, I am convinced, as sure as I'm standing before you, and I hope I am, I'm convinced that I won the war for my sexuality because the reason I was delivered from the plans of the enemy is because I went on offense. I did not just try to defend. I did not just sit back. I attacked. I attacked the devil right where he thought he could get me. Instead of waiting around, wondering when he would try to extend the kill shot, instead of keeping it private, instead of being shy about it, I grabbed my sword and I went to war. A special ops mission. I determined that the next time a temptation came my way, I would be ready. In fact, I would just face the temptation while I'm there. The next time a thought entered my mind, the next time lust was dangled in front of my face, I would be ready. I chased down my enemy. I didn't wait around. I went to him. I went into the wilderness of my life. I went into the dark places of my heart and I waged war with the word of God. There would be audible screaming matches with the devil. Yes, I would literally yell scripture that I had written out on note cards. I would stand and pace the floor 
and yell scripture at the enemy until he would leave me alone. I would recite, I would pray scripture out loud until the enemy fleed. I would recite scripture and pray until those thoughts in my mind would leave. Until I could drown them out. I would pray out loud until the enemy would flee. The only reason I was not snatched out by the wicked one is because I took my weapon, I got good at it, and I went on offense. I took my weapon, I got good at it, and I went on offense. If you want to see a victory in your life, quit waiting around and wondering which corner the temptation is going to come from next. Go to it. Face it. Fight it. And you will find freedom, soldier. This is an offensive weapon. This is not just let me get a good word on Sunday. This is not I need to run to the pastor because I need a scripture for what trial I'm going through. This is an offensive weapon. This is meant for you to study and memorize and learn. This is meant for you to already be full. Like Pastor Will says, what would God do in this room if we came in already studied up, already skilled with our weapon? What outbreak of the spirit could we find if we march through these doors as good soldiers ready for some offense instead of repairing ourselves defensively, instead of having every Sunday to regroup because we've been so injured? What if we came in already full, already studied up, ready to wage war? I wonder what the Spirit could do. Let's, I'm tired. I'm tired of the church playing defense. I'm tired of us Christians getting together on Sundays, playing patty cake with each other and rubbing our backs and saying, it's going to be okay. Just hang in there. Let's go to war. Let's fight. Let's take this sword and let's charge the gates of hell. Let's take this fight straight through the teeth of the enemy. Let's face our wilderness just like Jesus did. Let's go to it and kill it and find victory there. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your help. With every head bowed and every eye closed, can I just encourage you with one more thought? When Jesus Christ comes back on the Mount of Olives and he splits that sucker in half and he's descending on a white horse with robes of white of righteousness dipped in blood, And his eyes are like fire. Do you know what's coming out of his mouth? The Bible says in Revelations chapter 1 in verse 16 that the sword of the Spirit, the word of God is coming out of his mouth. That means, soldier, that if it's good enough for our general, if it is the weapon of choice for our general to banish Satan and his demons to hell forever, it is good enough for me. That is the sword that I want. If it's the one my general uses, it's the one I want to take into battle in the middle of the night when my thoughts are raging, when my hormones are crazy, when my identity is unsure, when my marriage is falling apart, when I've got bitterness in my heart, when I've got unforgiveness welling up inside of me, when all I want to do is gossip against my neighbor, when all I want to do is compare and be envious, the one weapon that I want is going to be the word of God. The sword of the spirit, it has the ability to make the enemy 
flee? What position does the word of God hold in your life? Is it a weapon or is it a weight? Can you effectively use your sword like second nature, like the back of your hand? Or do you just rely on your verse of the day from the Bible app? I'm talking about digging deep here. I'm talking about working your Bible. I'm talking about practicing up. I'm talking about speaking it. The Bible says in Revelations that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony, the spoken out loud recitation of God's scripture. We got to memorize, we got to hide it in our heart that we would not sin against God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you tired? Are you tired of playing defense? Are you tired of waiting to see what corner the next temptation is going to come from? I trust you are like me. If so, then pick up your weapon, soldier. Let's go on offense. I want this altar full this morning. That's right. I want you to put action to your conviction this morning. I want you to get real with God. I want you to do business. I want you to come up. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Don't worry about your, what your row neighbor thinks. Just get up and do business with God right here during this next song. In fact, I'm going to pray. And why don't you make a move now? Because when you move, and you couple that with your conviction, it provides accountability. It's going public with a declaration saying, I'm tired of defense. I'm going on offense. This week, I'm charging the gates of hell. I'm going to walk straight into my wilderness. I'm going to do heart surgery as a good soldier, and I'm going to use the word of God to make my enemy flee. What is it for you? I may not have listed out loud your struggle, but you know what it is, and so does Satan. You better run to him, guns a-blazing. Kill it. Kill it this morning. I'm going to pray. You come forward right now. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us about its effectiveness, its divine inspiration, its, its dynamite power, its durability. Thank you, Jesus, that... We have it in our hands to hold and to keep and to memorize and to hide in our hearts. And I thank you most of all that it is your weapon of choice to banish the devil and his minions to hell forever. That's the weapon I want. You come forward in Jesus' name, amen.